Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. I have an exciting message, at least I think is exciting, and I promise you that the next three hours are going to fly right by. So, some of you laugh, some of you are nervous. It's not going to be that long. We're just going to be scratching the surface this morning with this particular message, and you're going to see that it's really not about creation. It's really not about evolution. It's not about Genesis. It's really about the authority of God's Word, the fact that we can trust it from cover to cover. Um, I'm with the Creation Education Center, and the reason that we talk a fair amount about creation is the Bible's probably attacked arguably more for its creation account than anything else. And if we can't trust God for what he tells us about the beginning, how can we trust him for anything else? And a lot of people struggle with the whole idea of the authority of Scripture. You know, we're all into Jesus and believing that, but I'm not quite sure about all that Old Testament stuff, and especially the creation account. Maybe it didn't quite happen that way because we've got modern science now, and we know that you can't really look at it the same way, and maybe there really wasn't a flood, and all these other questions, but somehow magically we want to hold on to Jesus and say that, well, we could trust that, but then why? How do we magically know we could trust the gospel accounts and all that if we're telling everyone, well, we're not quite sure about what God was talking about in the beginning and all that. So we're going to be talking about this again, uh, just scratching the surface, probably raising more questions than I'll have time to answer this morning. Uh, We've got many, many talks that we present in seminars and things like that, and I'll refer to our resources at the end. And a little bit about my personal background is I was raised in a Christian home, accepted Christ as my Savior when I was in early grade school years. I was actually born in Waukesha, not too far from here and still live there. Everyone's got to be from somewhere. Um, Then I went to uh, public schools all the way through high school. When I graduated from high school, I went to a Christian college, John Brown University in Arkansas, to study mechanical engineering. And partway through, uh, I became more interested in physics than in engineering. But John Brown didn't have a physics major, uh, so I ended up leaving John Brown in Arkansas, coming back to Wisconsin, and went to UW-Whitewater to get my degree in physics. And that's when my world changed quite a bit, going from a small Christian university where my engineering professors would open up in prayer every day to a large state university where my physics professors did not open up in prayer. They were all evolutionists. Some of them were atheists. And they were telling me, in essence, that everything I believed was wrong. And that made me very uncomfortable to be surrounded by these Ph.D. scientists who I assumed had a lot of evidence for what they believed. But I realized probably for the first time in my life that although I knew what I believed, I didn't know why. You know, how did I know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? How do I know God exists? How do I know there was a flood? How do I know the creation account is scientifically valid? How do I know Jesus was the Son of God and rose from the dead? I believed all those things, but I didn't really know why. I didn't have any evidences. So God put it on my heart at that point in my life to start looking into these things. And I started doing a lot of research. That was actually 26 years ago. I've been speaking on it ever since now. And about five years ago, I founded the Creation Education Center, so I've been in in this full-time now for the past five years, traveling around the country. I think last year I gave about 185 talks, so it's been going very well because people are hungry for this message. It has nothing to do with me or any abilities that I have because I really don't have that many abilities, but God, you know, he he can use just about anyone, and I'm proof of that. Uh, But people are hungry for this message because they have a lot of doubts about the Bible. We come every week, you know, to church and worship God and all that, but we have these nagging questions, and we sometimes think that we maybe just have to bury our heads deeper in the sand or have stronger faith and ignore the science that's coming at us, when in reality, true science always backs up the Bible. And a little bit about the mission and passion behind the Creation Education Center. 
Uh, recent studies have shown that 50 to 75% of Christian students will end up walking away from their faith before they leave college. Now, that should be extremely alarming to everyone here this morning. I'm not going to have, have you guys do it right now, but we could have all the students just stand up here and we could divide the room in half and say, half you guys, you'll be fine, but the other half, you're going to be gone before you finish college. Now, probably most of you here this morning say, well, that wouldn't happen to me. I wouldn't walk away from my faith. But this is happening half to two-thirds or half to three-quarters of our own kids from evangelical churches are walking away from the faith. How in the world can that be happening? Well, I think it's largely based on the fact that we've got beliefs without convictions, <laughs> kind of like I had. You know, I believe the right things, but I really didn't know why because I really hadn't looked into it. And so the same thing with our kids. You know, we raise them in church, they're coming to church with us each week, and they go off to college, and they run into professors who are more than willing to tell them all those things can't possibly be true. There's no way there's a God. I mean, come on, look at all the evil in the world today. And the creation economy, come on, nobody believes that anymore. I mean, science has thoroughly proven evolution, and the Big Bang and all those things, and the flood, that couldn't have happened. I mean, where did all that water come from? Where did all that water go? And how did Noah get all those animals on that ark? And Jesus, he's not the son of God. He's just another guy. In the Bible, that was written thousands of years ago. It's full of errors and contradictions and on and on and on. And our kids are not prepared for those challenges. I was speaking at a Christian school not too long ago, which I do fairly often. This particular school went from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I was in there talking to the eighth graders, um, preparing them to go on to high school. And in this particular eighth grade class, Every single student was raised in this school from kindergarten to first grade all the way up through eighth grade, so they had a good Christian education. Every single student in this class except for one was going to be going on to a public high school because where they were living, they didn't have Christian schools available. One was going to be homeschooled. The rest were going on to public school situation. I was in there trying to prepare them for this major change in their lives and I asked a lot of questions along the way. And one of the questions I asked them was, how many of you here believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Every hand went up in the class. And that's great, but it's not too surprising at a Christian school you'd expect that. Then I asked another question. How many of you can tell me how do you know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And it got pretty quiet. And here are the responses that I got. Um, because I believe it is, because it says it is, uh, because that's what I've been taught. And I, I can't actually read. I, we don't have the screen in the back here. so. But these are the four reasons um, that were given. You can see very quickly that these aren't reasons. And it could be very well that some of you here this morning might give similar responses to this, that you maybe never really even thought about it before. You believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but you really don't know why. It's just what you believe. If that's all the farther we go, there is no reason that anyone else should believe it. It's just our belief. If they want to believe the Book of Mormon, then they can believe that. If they want to believe Hinduism or atheism, whatever. It's just this is our belief. That's your belief. There's no difference when we don't have reasons. Plus, it makes us pretty insecure when we just choose to believe it in, in spite of the facts that are coming after us. And so I think it's important for us as Christians to have reasons for the faith and the hope that we have. We've got a couple of resources in particular, uh, a DVD and a booklet entitled, How Do We Know the Bible is the Inspired Word of God? Very powerful presentation giving you uh, evidences from history, archaeology, internal consistency, prophecy, and science showing us that the Bible we have today absolutely must be the inspired word of God from cover to cover. But you can ask yourself these questions. How would you or your children or even maybe grandchildren 
respond to questions like these. If God created the universe, who created God? And isn't evolution science and creation just religion? And why do so many scientists believe in evolution? And can you really, uh, can you really trust the Genesis creation account? Have scientists disproved the Bible? And where did all that water go after the flood? Is there life in outer space? And what about all those ape men? I mean, you go to the museums, they've got bones there. What do we do about that? Was it really an ice age? Did God really create everything in just six days? Does carbon-14 dating disprove the Bible? And where did all the races come from? It's been stated that the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. Meaning, if you're struggling with questions like these or others, how excited are you going to be about your faith? How eager are you going to be to share it with someone else? How well positioned are you going to be to mentor your own children? And how secure are you going to be with your own faith? You know, you might end up saying to yourself, maybe I'm just fooling myself with all this Bible stuff. Maybe I just need to kind of give it up and move on, you know, and go more into science and what the world is telling us because there are awfully smart people coming up with this stuff. And I just, I just have my belief in the Bible and I look kind of foolish and I'm trying to get my kids to believe this too and they're like laughing at me. And this happens again over and over. And that's why a lot of people end up walking away from the faith. We've got a newsletter. I'm not handing out this uh, little bookmark here right now, but we've got a sign-up sheet on our table out in the hall. Uh, we have a free email newsletter. It comes out just once a month. And in it, we answer one of these tough questions each month. We also will answer some news stories, something comes out in the news. You know, they, they, uh, about a week or two ago, they said they discovered the God particle, the Higgs boson particle in an accelerator. And so we had an article on that explaining what, what exactly is it that they found. And so we'll address some of those news stories that supposedly is disproving creation or the Bible or Christianity. And then when we have new resources, you'll be alerted to that and also our speaking schedule in case you are interested in attending more sessions or inviting someone else to come along. Again, you can sign up on the table. It's a free email newsletter. Here's an interesting quote. I may have to step down to, to see this quote. I don't have the whole thing memorized. But this is from Dr. Richard Rorty from the University of Virginia. This is a very alarming quote. I know sometimes Sunday mornings you kind of may be tired coming to church. Uh, this should wake you up here. Let me see if I can see the quote on the screen here. Let's step down a second here. It says, secular professors in the universities ought to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. Students are fortunate to find themselves under the benevolence of people like me and have escaped the grip of their frightening, vicious, dangerous parents. We're going to go right on trying to discredit you parents in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. And this is happening at universities and even some high schools all across the country. Direct attacks against Christianity. And our kids are not prepared for things like this. And then they'll run into this quote from Dr. Ernst Meyer. He was one of the world's leading evolutionists. Very intelligent scientist. He said, no educated person any longer questions the validity of the so-called theory of evolution, which we now know to be a simple fact. Very dogmatic statement from a very intelligent scientist. I wouldn't argue with that. The guy was brilliant. But the Bible says there's a big difference between intelligence and wisdom. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And many of these scientists, they don't fear God. A lot of them don't even believe in God, like Professor Richard Dawkins. He's one of the world's leading atheists. Very outspoken evolutionist, very intelligent scientist. He wrote the book, The God Delusion. 
Here's one of his quotes from another source. So it's absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. You can ask yourself, how would you, or your children, or your grandchildren, respond sitting in a class like that if the teacher or professor makes a statement like that? I guarantee you, if you raise your hand and say, yeah, I don't really buy into all this evolution stuff, you're instantly broadcasting to everyone around you that you're one of these ignorant people. You're insane. You're crazy. I mean, you don't know anything about science. You just believe your Bible. Who's going to want to respond that way? Hardly anyone. I know I wouldn't have when I was in grade school, junior high, high school, even college. I was very shy, very intimidated by all my teachers and professors. And so a lot of them just kind of start slouching down, hoping that no one notices that you know, they go to church on Sunday or they have a Bible or they go to some Christian group or whatever. And so they become very quiet. A lot of them end up just kind of walking away from the whole thing. But we as Christians need to view everything around us through what we call biblical glasses. Glasses help us see things correctly. What this means is what does God's word tell us about God's world? Whether it's astronomy, biology, geology, anthropology, the ice age, flood, dinosaurs, whatever it might be, what did God tell us in his word about his world? But evolution implies that the Bible does not represent real history. You can't trust it. Well, that's a big problem for us as Christians if we can't trust the history of the Bible. In fact, it taints how we view things. If you look at these things here, you've got the American Civil War, um, Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo, the fall of the Roman Empire, and World War II. What are those things? Well, those are historical events. Okay, where do we learn about those? Well, in school and universities. All right, what about these? you got Jonah and the whale parting the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve in the garden. What are those? Well, those are Bible stories. And we'll often have a little flannel graph sometimes in Sunday school, and the kids come up and stick little animals in the ark, and it's kind of fun for them. One thing I've noticed about kids, especially with my own, if you feed them at least every other day, they eventually grow up, and they start thinking for themselves. And then they run into teachers who will say, there's no way there was a flood. I mean, come on. How in the world did Noah get every single animal on that ark? Now, that's not what the Bible says, but that's what the teachers will think it says, and, and they'll tell the students that. And even our own kids sitting in those classes will think, yeah, I never thought about that before. There's no way Noah could have gotten every single animal on this planet on that ark. And the teacher will continue. And, and where did all that water come from? To flood the entire planet, that's a lot of water. And where did all that water go? I'm looking around. I don't see it. And again, our kids are like, that's a good question, too. I hadn't thought about that either. I just was learning the, the story. It was kind of a fun story. Well, you know what? Maybe it was just a story. It's in the Bible, but, you know, Jesus used parables and stuff like that. Maybe this was just another story. It didn't actually happen. It, it's just there to teach us about, I don't know, water or animals or boats. I don't know. This is kind of a fun story. And then you start throwing other things out. And if you're going to throw anything out in the Bible, you're certainly going to throw creation in six days out. I mean, come on, nobody believes that anymore. I mean, again, scientists have thoroughly proven the Big Bang. We know the universe is about 13.7 billion years old, and the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old. So you can't take that seriously anymore. So you throw that out too, and you throw other things out. You start to erode your foundation. But it's interesting that pretty much every major doctrine we believe as Christians is founded in the book of Genesis. We have the doctrine of sin. 
What is sin? Well, God created this earth, and Adam and Eve, they were perfect. But they disobeyed God. That was sin. That's what sin is. That's where it came from. What about death? There's a lot of death in this world today. Where did death come from? Well, God created Adam and Eve in that garden. They were perfect, but they sinned disobeyed God, and that brought death into God's perfect world. It was a curse. It was a consequence for their sin. That's where death comes from. It goes back to Genesis. Then we have marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman for life. That's highly controversial in this country today and around the world, even in some churches. Where did that come from? Well, God created Adam and Eve in that garden. He said it's going to be one man, one woman for life. It goes back to Genesis. Then we have clothing. Why do we wear clothes other than it gets cold out once in a while? Well, because God created Adam and Eve in that garden. They were perfect. They sinned, disobeyed God, brought death into God's perfect world, and clothing was just a temporary covering for their sin. It goes back to Genesis. Then we have work. Why do we work? Because God created Adam and Eve in that garden. And he said, Adam, I want you to till the ground, work the earth. Now, it became a lot harder after he sinned, but it was actually ordained by God right from the beginning. It is a good thing. We were created to work. Then we have Jesus Christ. He's referred to as being the last Adam. If the first Adam wasn't real, what does that tell us about the last Adam? And then most importantly, the gospel message. What is the gospel message? That Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, rose again the third day. Why? Because God created Adam and Eve in that garden. They were perfect, but they sinned, disobeyed God, brought curse and death into God's perfect world. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ is the only permanent solution for that problem. The gospel message starts back in Genesis. If we have problems with Genesis, if it isn't true, if it isn't accurate, if it isn't trustworthy, we have problems with pretty much everything we believe as Christians. In fact, if Genesis is not literal history with the literal Adam and Eve and literal very good creation and all that, then sin did not literally enter this world through their actions, and you and I don't literally need to be saved. I hope you can start to see that, wow, I guess this Genesis stuff is kind of important. It's not just a side topic for some science nuts to get into. It's foundational for us as Christians. It explains everything. If we didn't have the Old Testament and if it wasn't trustworthy, almost nothing in the New Testament would make any sense. The Old Testament is foundational to the New Testament, and Genesis is the foundation of the Old Testament. Here's one other quote from another atheist. This quote is very disturbing also, but I think it's pretty accurate. This is what he had to say. He said, Christianity has fought, still fights, and will continue to fight science to the desperate end over evolution because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. Destroy Adam and Eve in the original sin, and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. If Jesus was not the Redeemer who died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. And I believe that's true. If evolution is true as they're teaching it in the school systems, then Christianity is not true. There wasn't an original perfect creation with a nice garden and an Adam and Eve in it who ticked God off and got kicked out, and then God says, oh, great, I guess I've got to send my son to die for their sins now. That never happened if evolution is true as they're teaching it in the school systems. Again, what a lot of Christians have done is they say, you know what, you guys are arguing back and forth. i got the solution. We'll just put the two together, the Bible and evolution. God used evolution. End of story. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And he is all-powerful. But there's one thing God can't do. There's actually a few things God can't do. It just seems kind of weird. Sounds maybe like heresy, but uh, can God lie? <laughs> no, you're right. Okay, I guess he can't lie. 
is he not powerful enough? No, it has nothing to do with power. It goes against his character, his nature, who he is. Can God not exist? No, he can't not exist. He's an eternal being. He has to exist. So there are certain things that God can't or doesn't do. He won't lie. And he told us what he did in the Bible. In evolution, we don't have time to go into all the details, but it goes totally against what Scripture is teaching us. We can actually trust what God is telling us. We'll see that in a little bit here. Psalm 118.8 says, It's better to trust the Lord than put confidence in man. And 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Meaning the most brilliant scientists we have on the planet, they know nothing compared to God. And that's very true. We think we're so smart and we discover different things and we come up with some cool technology, but we still know nothing compared to God. We need to trust God for what he tells us in his word about his world. Since we're talking about evolution here a little bit, we need to define it further because the word evolution is used in many, many different ways. They will talk about the evolution of the Corvette, how it's changed over the years. And you know what? It has changed. But it didn't change by accident on its own each time. It was designed all along the way. But they'll call that evolution sometimes. <clears throat> and that's fine. If they want to call that evolution, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about by evolution. This is also what I do not mean by evolution. I'm not talking about different types of horses and cats and dogs and beaks on finches, which Darwin got very excited about. We see this all the time. These are facts of science. We see varieties of creatures. We see different species. We see variation. We don't deny that whatsoever. But this has nothing to do with evolution as they're teaching in the school systems. This is what I mean by evolution. That supposedly about 3.8 billion years ago, there was a single-celled organism that slowly evolved into every other life form on this planet by accident over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. This, I believe, is a story that's been told about the past, but it has no real science behind it. And there's one other thing we need to cover very quickly here. It's very, very important. It's also very easy to understand, but if I were to skip this next segment, you will probably continue to struggle with the whole creation-evolution controversy, the Bible-science supposed you know, controversy. And here's the point. There are two types of science. There's operational science and there's historical science. Operational science deals with things that we typically do in a laboratory. We make fast computers, space shuttles, we find cures for diseases. It's great stuff. Creationists and evolutionists are not debating operational science. We know how it works. But too often people say, well, you Christians, you creationists, you guys reject science. You just believe the Bible. That's not true at all. We love science. In fact, almost every major area of science we have today was founded by a Bible-believing Christian. Science owes its origins to Christianity, and evolutionists know that. The other type of science though, is called historical science, and that deals with events that happen in the unobserved past, like a supposed Big Bang almost 15 billion years ago. No one is around to see that happen. We can't reproduce that in the laboratory, and we can't test that directly. But you know what? The same thing is true of God's six-day creation account. None of us are around to see that happen. We certainly can't reproduce that in a laboratory. We can't test that one directly either. So both of these views, the Big Bang and evolution, or the six-day creation account, they fall into the category of what we call historical science. Now, there's actually nothing wrong with historical science. It's just different. It involves a lot of assumptions and guesses as to what happened a long time ago when no one was around. And different scientists have different guesses and assumptions as to what they believe happened. You know, Christians, we base our assumptions and views on what God has told us about his creation. 
It's interesting that uh, you probably heard this statement, that the facts speak for themselves. They actually don't. Every fact that you've ever heard or ever will hear has to be interpreted to give it any kind of meaning. And that's really interesting to note also that all scientists have the exact same facts because they're all living on the same earth and they're all looking at the same dirt and the same DNA. It's not like evolutionists. They've got their facts and they're throwing them at us and we've got our facts and we're throwing them at them and we're going back and forth. No, they're all the exact same facts. That's how it's being interpreted where the difference comes in. For example, it is an absolute fact that there are many layers in the Grand Canyon. No one would dispute that. That's just a raw fact. An evolutionist would look at those layers or those facts through a worldview or a filter or a bias or presuppositions of man's wisdom, all the wisdom and knowledge that man has built up over the years. They would look at those layers and they'd say, wow, that would take millions and millions of years for those layers to accumulate. A creationist or a Christian could look at the same layers through a filter or a worldview of God's word and say, you know what, that's exactly what I'd expect to see. I'd expect to see layers laid down all over the planet because there was a worldwide flood, Genesis 6 through 9. And a worldwide flood would lay down layers all over the earth, and that's exactly what we see. Same facts, two totally different interpretations, based not on the science, based on their worldviews, on their starting points. Here's another example. Similarities between ape and human skeletons. An evolutionist looks at that to see that's proof or at least evidence that we evolved from an ape-like creature. A creationist or a Christian look at the same facts, same evidence, through a worldview of God's word, say, you know what? That's what I'd expect to see because both of these creatures, they were designed by the same designer. They're living on the same planet and they're eating similar foods. You'd expect to see some similarities and we do see some similarities there. So same facts, two totally different interpretations based on their starting points or their worldviews. How many of you have ever heard of Rudyard Kipling? A number of you, great children's author, wrote a number of books like How the Camel Got Its Hump and How the Leopard Got Its Spots. They call these just-so stories meaning it just so happened that that's how these spots got onto that leopard. They're very fanciful, creative, made-up stories about some of these things. Very entertaining for children. But we don't want to see just-so stories in science. But too often, that's exactly what we see. And here's another quote from Geo Times from 2005 about these just-so stories. It says, evolutionists have physics envy. They tell the public that the science behind evolution is the same science that sent people to the moon and cures diseases. It's not. The science behind evolution is not empirical but forensic. It's not that operational science that we're doing in the laboratory, repeating our experiments over and over and over. It's historical science, making guesses as to what happened a long time ago when no one was around. Because evolution took place in history, its scientific investigations are after the fact. No testing, no observations, no repeatability, no falsification, nothing at all like physics. I think this is what the public discerns, that evolution is just a bunch of just-so stories disguised as legitimate science. And that's been my experience for the past 26 years now. I hear a lot of interesting stories, but no real science behind it. We've got just so stories about the origin of the universe. They tell us it just so happened about 13.7 billion years ago, there was a massive explosion, the Big Bang, that formed our nice orderly universe. We go into a lot more detail on this in some of our other talks. It's very interesting, but we're going to jump to the end of this one. Liam Letterman, a Nobel Prize winning physicist, said, when you read or hear anything about the birth of the universe, somebody's making it up. <laughs> they don't know. They're making guesses as to what they think happened, you know, billions of years ago. 
Well, maybe the laws of physics were different <laughs> because the laws of physics today go against the Big Bang. And we have just those stories about the origin of life. They said it just so happened 3.8 billion years ago, non-living chemicals came together and they formed a living cell that could reproduce itself. Amazing. And we go into more detail on that in some more other talks, but jumping to the end of this one, Ken Nielsen from USC said, nobody understands the origin of life. If they say they do, they're probably trying to fool you. They don't know. It's unbelievably complex. They have not shown how life could form accidentally on its own. And we have just those stories about the complexity of life itself. They say, yeah, life forms are very, very, very complex, but they all just happen by accident. And here's an interesting example. A typical human adult has about 100 trillion cells in their body. And each one of these cells is more complex than the space shuttle. In fact, in a baby, from conception till birth, a baby adds about 15,000 of these cells to its body every minute. And each one of those cells is more complex than the space shuttle. Now, inside of these cells in the nucleus are strands of DNA. You've all heard of DNA, a little coiled-up ladder there. It's got all that information. It's like a very large a very, very, very complex blueprint. It's got tons and tons of information on it. So much so that if you had even a pinhead amount of your own DNA and wanted to write that out into book form, it would fill enough books to stack from the Earth to the Moon 500 times. That's 240,000 miles from the Earth to the Moon. Just a pinhead amount of your own DNA could write that out, fill enough books to stack from the Earth to the Moon 500 times. It just blow your mind. But you know what the school system teaches? It's just an accident. All that information just happened by accident. Isn't that kind of neat? That's a nice just-so story. It has nothing to do with science. And we have just-so stories about the origin of the species, the variety of life that we have here today. Yeah, there's a great variety, they say, but that just all happened by accident too. And here's one of their best examples, the peppered moth. Some of you have probably heard of the peppered moth. Um, this is how it happens. We have two tree trunks up there. There are two moths in each one. The ones in the, rect or the triangles there are more camouflaged. They blend in fairly well. Here's how the story goes. On the left side up there, that tree trunk has some fungal growth on it called lichens. It's lighter colored, so the tree is lighter colored. So the lighter colored moths blend in very well. The birds are flying over, and they're very hungry. So they're swooping down, and they are picking off those dark colored moths because they stick out like a sore thumb. So after a while, there aren't too many dark moths left anymore. They're being eaten. But there's a lot of light-colored moths. Then the Industrial Revolution occurred, and the light-colored lichens died off on the trees. So now the trees are darker. They're natural bark color. Guess what? Now the light-colored moths stick out like a sore thumb, but the dark ones blend in very well. So the birds are flying over. They're swooping down, and they're picking off the light-colored moths left and right. So now we have very few light-colored moths, but a lot of dark ones. There's proof of evolution. Now, if you don't quite get that, you're in good company because I didn't get that at first either. Like, wait a minute. Initially, we had light and dark-colored moths. Afterwards, we had light and dark-colored moths. You don't even have a light-colored moth evolving into a dark-colored moth. And even if you did, it's just a moth. It's the same moth, just a different color. But the most interesting thing about this is it never even happened. The scientists literally took some dead moths, glued them to the trees, took pictures of it, put it in the textbooks, and told the story. And it's still in textbooks today. My daughter, just this past semester, came home from school one day and says, Dad, guess what they're talking about in school today? The peppered moth. <laughs> and she showed me you know, the article on it and all that. And 
a lot of interesting stories with my kids being in public school now. They were raised in a Christian school through eighth grade, but um, but they're being taught evolution now, which I don't mind. I want them to know more about evolution than anyone else on the planet, because then they'll also see the problems with it as well. Um, so another talk for another time as far as advice with school systems and all that. But they're still teaching it in the school systems. Then we have just those stories about the origin of man, how we've evolved from an ape-like creature. They used to say we evolved from a chimp, and now they see there's no evidence for that. So now they're saying, okay, it wasn't an ape, it was an ape-like creature. Well, what did this ape-like creature look like? An ape. <laughs> so they pretty much still think we evolved from an ape, but they've changed the story. They don't like these pictures of all they show the, the chimpanzee getting taller and taller into a modern human. They, no, we don't believe that anymore. Well, that's what you taught us for years and years, and now they're changing their story. Again, we go into more detail on that in other talks. Then we have just those stories in my mind with the concept of millions and billions of years. Now, this one's more controversial. There are quite a few uh, Christians out there who believe in the millions and billions of years, who believe that maybe God used the Big Bang. Um, some of them may even believe that God used evolution. They think, hey, if those scientists, if they've proven the Big Bang somehow, you know, we'll just we'll have to accept it. You know, God's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And I do not doubt the sincerity of those Christians. I don't doubt their intelligence at all. And I certainly do not doubt their salvation. I do not doubt their Christianity because their salvation is 100% based in their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based on their opinion of creation or the age of the earth or anything like that at all. But I just personally, after 26 years, I just don't see the evidence, the scientific evidence for billions of years, and I don't see how it, at all it fits in the Bible. I see lots of problems with it biblically and scientifically, but this is my opinion. I'm not telling you you're, you have to believe what, what I believe, and I'll tell, talk about that a little bit more at the end. Here's just one example of a problem with the story of millions and billions of years. We have the layers in the earth there. Evolutionists tell us that those layers accumulated over hundreds of millions of years, slowly over hundreds of millions of years. Okay, here's a problem with this story. We find occasionally fossils that go up through multiple layers. They're called polystrate fossils. These are fossils of trees going up through multiple layers here. So let's look at one layer here. Let's say that this particular layer here was laid down 200 million years ago. And apparently the tree there was started growing in that layer. And then it stood there for millions of years as it's waiting for the other layers to eventually get there and bury it. That's impossible tree would have rotted away long before those other layers got there. Also, take a look at the bottoms of these trees. They're missing something. We like to call them root systems. <clears throat> these trees were not growing there. They were catastrophically uprooted from where they were growing and rapidly redeposited here in a short period of time in a single event like a global flood. There's no way that these things could have been deposited slowly over millions of years. Here's an actual photograph of a polystrate fossil tree going up through multiple layers there. We don't have time to talk about Mount St. Helens, but in 1980 when it erupted, uh, it laid down hundreds of feet of layers in hours and days. <laughs> it didn't take millions of years. It took hours and days. The scientists who looked at that said, man, if I hadn't seen that myself, I would have said hundreds of thousands of years for that. Just one relatively small volcano did a lot of damage in a very, very short period of time. So the evidence actually goes against the millions of years for these layers and many, many other things. But then we have coal. I mean, that's got to be a problem, right? Because I mean, we know coal is hundreds of millions of years old. That's what we're taught. It doesn't take millions of years to form coal. You can form coal in a laboratory in a few hours. It just takes the right conditions. Organic material, heat, pressure, and water. That's it. And that's exactly what the flood would have provided. The flood would have buried all the vegetation on the earth under all those layers, producing a lot of pressure, causing a lot of heat. 
and it would have naturally turned into coal on its own in a number of hundreds of years or at least a few thousand years. It doesn't take millions of years. Then we have C14 up there. That's carbon-14. I go into more detail on that in some of our other talks. Uh, we won't get too technical here, but carbon-14 is radioactive and it decays away. It's kind of like an ice cube. If I had an ice cube sitting up here this morning, and I told you this ice cube has been sitting here for 500 years, you'd say, well, that's crazy. I mean, it would have melted after probably 10 or 15 minutes. And you're right, because it decays away. Same thing with carbon-14. It decays away that after a number of thousands of years, it's gone. So if coal is supposed to be hundreds of millions of years old, it shouldn't have any carbon-14 left. We have yet to discover any coal that doesn't still have carbon-14 in it, which would indicate that coal can only be a few thousand years old, not millions of years old. Here's a theological problem with trying to stick millions of years into the Bible. We've got the Garden of Eden there and Adam and Eve sitting there. And Eve is saying to Adam, oh, Adam, this is such a perfect world. And Adam says, yes, Eve, it's very good, just like God said, Genesis 1.31. Okay, we're familiar with that, the garden and Adam and Eve and, and, and all that from Genesis. If we as Christians say, you know what, if those scientists, if they've proven the Big Bang in billions of years, what do I care? I don't care at all. You know, that, that's science. You can't argue with science, can you? We'll just we'll fit it into the Bible somewhere. The Bible's flexible. You can interpret it different ways. And, again, it doesn't matter as long as we believe in Jesus. And, and most Christians who do that are being very sincere. They think that solves things. One of, we have a specific talk that goes into a lot more detail on the problems with that, but here's just one example. If we as Christians say, you know what, we'll just fit the millions of years in there somehow, this is actually what we would be seeing. Beneath Adam and Eve are all the layers in the earth. That's a fact. Those layers are really there. Those layers are literally filled with billions and billions of fossils. That's why we call it the fossil record. Well, what are fossils? Fossils are remains of dead things. Okay, if those layers did truly slowly accumulate over millions and millions and millions of years while the earth was forming, that means that there were creatures and people living during that time, and that's evidence of pain, suffering, disease, death, mutations. We even have evidence of cancer in dinosaur bones. So all of that was going on, death, disease, mutations, cancer, going on for millions and millions and millions of years as the earth is forming, and then it's finally done, and God plants a nice garden at the top and sticks Adam and Eve in it, and they're saying, oh, this is such a perfect world. No, it's literally filled with death and disease and dying and cancer and tumors and all that. So when Adam sinned, that didn't bring death into God's perfect world. Death had been around for millions and millions of years. So Romans 5.12 that says it was by Adam's sin that brought death into God's world, I guess you can't believe that either. And if it's not our fault that death is in God's world, then apparently Jesus Christ wasted his time dying for our sins because it's not our fault. God is the one who created death to create the world. So this is just one example of a reason not to try to mess with God's word and to bring these fallible temporal theories of, of men who aren't starting with God's word and taking their theories and changing our interpretation of Scripture. So what do we do with this? Uh, Psalm 119.160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning. Um, Genesis is the beginning of God's word. Again, if we can't trust God for what he tells us about the beginning, how can we trust him for anything else? And even though this is God's first shot at writing a book, I think he did a pretty good job. And I think we can trust it. Well, what, again, what do you do with all this? I've gone really fast. The book of James chapter 1 says, Be slow to speak. But it doesn't say speak slow, so I go really fast on purpose. I really didn't come here this morning to teach a lot of detail. I came here to purposely overwhelm you with so much stuff 
that you're convinced is like, wow, I guess we really can trust God's word and we really need to, to have you drink from a fire hose. Um, and one of the best things you can do is to not become a statistic, especially for the students here. Don't be one of those half to three quarters of Christian students who end up walking away from their faith. Know what you believe, know why you believe it, and to know you can trust God's word from cover to cover. There's never, ever, ever a contradiction between science and the Bible. Never, not one. But there are many contradictions between scientists' opinions and the Bible. And very, very, very quick story with my daughter when she was starting to take biology last year at school. I told her, I said, you know what, Tori, you don't need to say anything to the teacher. You don't need to tell him who I am. You don't need to argue with him during class. I said, just I'll pray about it if God wants me to do something. I want to you know, make sure it's led by the, the Spirit, not just my own understanding. And so she was in class, and she hadn't said anything. But the first week of class, the teacher said, told the students that the church is against science. This is a biology class in high school. Why are you talking about church? If I came in there to talk about church, they'd kick me out. But the teacher could mention that. My daughter, totally on her own, she was 14 at the time, raised her hand and said, uh, uh, the church isn't against science. It's against scientists' opinions. <laughs> and he's like, wow, good point. He's like, wow, where did she come up with that? And a bunch of other things, totally on her own, she came up with. Um, got to tell you one really quick. It's got a funny one. Towards the end of the semester, he was talking about some dinosaur bone or whatever, and he said it was 65 million years old. And someone else in the class asked, well, how do they figure out how old these things are? And he goes, well, you know, carbon-14 dating. My daughter, 14, raised her hand. He called on her. He said, she said to the teacher, well, you do know that the half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years, and it wouldn't have any carbon-14 left after a million years. So, you know, but you know that, right? And she said it very graciously, and he said, well, uh, yeah, I guess, you know. He didn't even know. He's thinking, oh, this is a 14-year-old girl, though, the half-life of carbon-14. Um, so it was just kind of neat to see her totally on her own do that. It's her own belief, her own faith, and not just me telling you, you've got to say this or that. So very interesting. Many of their stories I'll skip from now. But um, know what you believe. First and foremost, know that you can trust God's word from cover to cover. And you need to equip yourself to do that. And this is where it gets encouraging. There are only two things. Only two things that anyone here this morning needs in order to figure out the truth in this whole creation evolution controversy. Just two things. Number one is a copy of God's word. And that's what it looks like on the inside, in case you're curious. That is just a joke. <laughs> um, secondly, the Holy Spirit. By you reading God's word, the Holy Spirit can guide you into all truth. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit can guide you into all truth. There is one thing that nobody here this morning needs to figure out the truth, and that is me. You don't need some supposed expert coming along telling you, hey, trust me, I've studied this for 26 years, I have degrees in physics and engineering and all that. And, you know, No, I don't want you to trust me. In fact, I want you to question everything you've heard from me this morning against your understanding of God's word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I am totally sincere in telling you this. I would much, much rather have everyone here this morning walk out believing that God used the Big Bang and evolution and all that, and it doesn't even matter, if you were 100% convinced that that's what God's Word teaches you through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'd rather have you believe that than to simply walk out of here saying, well, I guess I believe in the six-day creation thing because that's what he said. That sounds smart. No, I don't want you to have your faith in me. I'm just a person. I'm a human being. 
But God is honored when we are in his word reading it, and he will guide us to all truth, which is very encouraging. You don't need a degree in physics or Ph.D. in geology or even Hebrew and Greek. You can simply read his word, and he will guide you into all truth. It should be very, very encouraging. Now, if you want to take it a little bit further and figure out some of these challenges that are coming from the scientific community that are supposedly disproving the Bible and Christianity, there are tons of great resources available from many different places and ministries. I'm just going to highlight very quickly what we brought along this morning out in the hall, um, and I'll, we can talk to you more about it afterwards after the service. But the first one is creation, evolution, and the authority of Scripture. It's somewhat similar to the talk that I've just given here this morning, a very foundational talk. Then we have creation, evolution, answers, top ten questions. Those questions I rattled through at the very beginning of the service, if God created the universe, who created God? Where did all the water go after the flood? Is there life in outer space? You know, how do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? Where did all the races come from? What about carbon-14 dating? We address all those questions and more on that DVD. Then we've got creation, evolution, science speaks. This one is like 99% science on purpose. Because a lot of people say, oh, don't give me all that Bible stuff and quote me scripture and all that. I don't even believe in the Bible. I'm just into science and logic and truth kind of say, okay, we'll temporarily put Scripture aside for a second and see what science actually does have to say. We talk about the origin of the universe, origin of life, origin of species, and origin of man on that DVD from a scientific standpoint. At the end of each major segment, I just quote one verse to say, you know what, this is what the Bible's told us all along, and then we move on. Uh, then we have two DVDs, Creation, Evolution, and the Age of the Earth, and Creation in Six Days of Biblical and Scientific Analysis. These two DVDs cover this whole controversial topic of the age of the earth, young, old, of the days in, cre in Genesis, regular days, or they multiplied millions of years. Does it even matter? Does the Bible say anything about it? Uh, those two DVDs cover that topic. Then one I already mentioned, how do we know the Bible is the inspired word of God? Then we have creation of Christ, the Old Testament in a nutshell. Very quickly, the background on this one. Most of us as Christians know a fair amount about Jesus and his life, his miracles, death, and resurrection, and a little bit about his return. And then we all know a couple of really cool Old Testament stories. You know, Daniel and the lion's den, the parting the Red Sea and all that, but most of us don't know how all that fits together in the Old Testament. We don't know if Moses and Abraham were they like next-door neighbors. Did they work at Wendy's together? Um, we don't. Why was all this killing going on in the Old Testament? Yikes, and skeptics are always honest for that. Yeah, nice God you guys have telling the Israelites to go into these lands and wipe them all out, men, women, children, even babies, slaughter them. Yeah, nice God. Oh, but you guys got the God of love in the New Testament, Jesus, and turn the other cheek. And then we look at them and we say, well, uh, yeah, I don't know that, but uh, you just have to trust Jesus. And like, yeah, whatever. And they walk off. And we're just like, oh, I, just, I don't know what to say. I don't really understand how all that works. And also, we're jumping right in the middle of the picture. When you witness to somebody, what do we usually tell them? You know that you have to place your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in order to have your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die. And then they look at us and they say, what are you trying to say? You tell me that if I don't do that, that God would send me to hell? And they're very offended. And then they start to tell us how good of a person they really are. And then they say, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm not perfect, though, but even if I needed help, why do I need Jesus? Why can't it be Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius? In fact, why do I need anyone at all? Why can't I just be good? And then we say, well, uh, uh, trust me, it's got to be Jesus. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And again, they walk off. We're just like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to witness anybody because I just, I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to say and all this. So because we're jumping in the middle of the story. But if we said, wait a minute, let me tell you why it's Jesus. This is his creation. Long before Jesus was Savior, he was creator. John chapter 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews chapter 1. He created everything to begin with. It was perfect. He created Adam and Eve. They were perfect. But they chose to disobey him. They chose to reject God and separate themselves. So God had to separate them because he's 100% holy. 
but he didn't want to end it there. He could have just squashed him and started over. He said, no, I love you too much. i got a plan. I'm going to send my own son to die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. And the rest of the Old Testament is playing that story out. Every detail leads to Christ's arrival. So in this DVD, we go from creation to Christ, telling the, the big picture. We talk a little bit about creation, the flood, the ice age. It was an ice age. Dinosaurs, where do they fit in? The Tower of Babel, the origin of races, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way up to Jesus Christ. One continuous story making sense of Christianity. Last one, dinosaurs in the Bible, kind of self-explanatory. What's the truth about dinosaurs? What does the Bible say? We also have a new series that we came out with. It's called Foundations in Creation. We took a lot of the individual DVDs and put it in one seminar session. There's 12 sessions in there, um, 12 half-hour sessions with a free study guide, so it's great for a small group, Bible study, Sunday school, or whatever, to go through a lot of that information on the individual DVDs in a seminar format that's at the table as well. I've written seven individual booklets. I'm not going to go through each one of these, but they're at the table. If you buy either the eight individual DVDs or the seminar series, we give you a free set of booklets or a free copy of the book that I wrote. Um, that's also on the table. The book covers tons of information, a lot more than we could do on the, the DVD series. That's all again also available at the table. And just one note about the ministry itself. I've been speaking for 26 years, five years now full-time. We've never charged a penny, and we never will. But the main way that the ministry continues to move forward is by our monthly supporters. Um, this is totally between you and God, and I personally believe that your first and foremost priority is to your local church here. But if God puts it on your heart today, you think this is an important message and other people need to hear this, if you would decide to become a monthly supporter of our ministry, we want to give you a free set of DVDs and a free copy of the book to take with you today as our thank you. We want you to get to know more about the message and the ministry itself. Uh, you can see me at the table afterwards if you're interested in that. We have a form out there. And then lastly, we have a connection form. This is something everyone can do. Um, you can help us get connected to other churches, schools, camps, conferences. You all know people that attend other churches. Maybe you used to live in Wyoming. You have a son-in-law who's a youth pastor somewhere, or you know a conference or a camp or a school, whatever. All we ask you to do is you fill out this form and hand it back to us today. We just ask you to contact that person you know at that church or the school or wherever and just ask them, would it be okay if I gave them a call? That's all you have to do. You don't have to remember how long I've been in ministry, what I speak on, how many DVDs we have, where we're located. You can just tell them, is it okay if Jay gives you a call? He can answer all your questions. You can tell them we don't charge anything. Can Jay call you? If they say yes, then you just get back to us and say, here's the person's name and number. We'll take it over from there. So we have those forms out on the table as well. That's very, very helpful to our ministry. So I appreciate you um, putting up with me talking a million miles an hour. We've got a website there. We've got cards out of the table if you want to take some of those as well. But I look forward to meeting you, uh, some of you afterwards and uh, Paul out there to answer some questions because we aren't able to do Q&A here this morning. But I hope you are encouraged uh, that you can trust God's word from cover to cover. And its most important message is not Genesis or dinosaurs or DNA. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And hopefully if you're more confident in God's word as a whole, you're more confident in sharing the gospel message with a lost and dying world. I look forward to seeing you afterwards. Thank you.